Welcome to a special edition of Exhale. The next several episodes, we will be asking the respiratory therapist. This special series is where we will interview multiple respiratory therapists and PFT technicians in different healthcare situations during COVID this past year. We want them to share their experiences with you, what they endured during this pandemic, and what they expect since it's not going away anytime soon. Your hosts today are Mark Russell and Jansen Lanier with Vitalgraph US, a global leader in respiratory diagnostics. Mark is the marketing communications manager, and Jansen is the national sales manager and a respiratory therapist. Today, we are interviewing Kimberly Wins Koldoff, a respiratory therapist at a medical center outside of Atlanta, Georgia. We connected with her when she posted on LinkedIn an emotional cry after a long shift. In her message, she said, quote, My shifts this weekend confirm my fears. COVID is indeed back. Today was one of the most exhausting days I've ever worked. I'm grieving. I'm angry. I'm scared. I'm tired. What can we do? Please consider getting vaccinated if you haven't already. Well, hi, Kim. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Well, hey, we connected last week based on your uh, posting on LinkedIn. It really moved me. Why don't you tell the folks, if they haven't seen it, what you post and uh, what was going on that day? So a little background story. I had taken a few days off, about five days off from my uh, normal work schedule. And I came back to the hospital, no problem. And I was kind of shocked at where, where I had left it and where I found it when I came back. All of our ICU beds are full. Almost all of them were COVID patients who are very, very sick. So it was clear to me that the Delta variant had hit our region and it had hit really, really quickly, which was alarming to me. I guess we all knew it was coming, but we weren't really sure when and the pace at which it hit was very alarming to us. So I had worked on the weekend and I just felt moved to kind of let people know that this has kind of become our norm the last year, but this is something that we need to be watching out for. And I just said, please, please consider if you haven't already, please consider getting vaccinated because I think at this point, I checked our numbers today. And at this point, about 98% of our COVID patients that are admitted with COVID-19 in the ICU with severe COVID are unvaccinated. And I thought that was a really important message to get across to anybody who would kind of not prioritize getting the vaccination. So for the listeners, if you don't mind me asking, what region are you in and how many ICU beds do you guys currently have? So I am in North Georgia, Northeast Georgia. I work for a large health system in Northeast Georgia outside of Atlanta. And we have four different hospitals. Two are rural. One is big. And we have, I think we have about 60 ICU beds in our main campus, um, which is about a 600-bed facility. And we have a medium size, which has about 24 ICU beds, I believe. And then our rural hospitals. We have two rural hospitals that are also to capacity right now. So it's a pretty significant number of ICU beds that are filled up. And how long have you been in respiratory therapy? I started in 2011. So August actually marked my 10-year anniversary of being in respiratory therapy. It was my second career. And I've been with my health system for the whole 10 years. I have kind of gone per diem and other locations in Atlanta, but I've mainly stayed with 
my health system. So as COVID has been progressing and we're now on our second variants of this dreaded disease, so as compared to last year to this year, what are you seeing the differences are as day-to-day today as it was last year? What do you see? Have we progressed in acknowledgement, how people are being treated? What do you see the comparisons of last year to this year? So all of it's been challenging, but in different ways. Of course, when we first started out, there was this huge issue with the PPE. You hear about the PPE and nobody had enough masks and all that. And that was terrifying. And then the first time our COVID ICs filled up, I personally had never seen people this sick with respiratory issues as bad as they were. So that was kind of a learning curve for us to learn how to deal with COVID in general. Now we've been through it for a year. We kind of understand what we're doing to an extent, but what we're seeing is for me, and this is again, um, just from what I'm seeing with my eyes, our patients are definitely younger. In the beginning, you had your hypertension, your diabetes, your morbid obesity, things like that, that were kind of going to indicate how severe somebody's COVID day was. But now we're seeing people that are definitely younger. I've had an alarming amount of 40 and 50 year olds that are, were in relatively good health or had never had any kind of health issues. And that is what is triggering the red flags for me. I'm personally, I'm 41 years old, so, and I'm in pretty good health, but all of a sudden I'm seeing the younger people come in and I'm like, oh my goodness, this is terrifying. And I also have small children. So I see the demographics of the severe COVID um, patient getting younger and younger. And I think I've got young children that can't get vaccinated. And I hear some stories about the PICUs starting to ramp up with the COVID cases. And that's what's alarming to me because I have a first time kindergartner and he's going to public school and they don't have a mask mandate. So I'm really concerned at this point. Are they doing an option for masks? Yes, it's a, it's optional this year. Last year it was mandated. This year it is optional. Yes, I, I have a kindergartner and a third grader. So same situation, same mm-hmm. boat. They go to, to Catholic school and, and they're basically given the option. My girls will, will definitely be having a mask, wearing it responsibly. They're well aware, well versed on, on when to wear it, why to wear it, and don't right, let anybody right. discourage you for wearing it. Yeah, and I think we were so such in panic mode in the beginning of the whole pandemic, and it's been a year. People are kind of desensitized to it all. People got kind of tired of it. So I understand that. I completely understand that. Uh, we're all tired of it, but it's not over. I think that's a really important message to get out there. It is not over, and and yeah, we're going to have to keep fighting. Has your training prepared you for this pandemic or are you being flexible and trying to learn new things? What have you learned from this pandemic that maybe help you be a better therapist? So I will say that for some of us in respiratory that have been in respiratory for a while, we welcome challenges. We have learned a lot as far as how to treat some of these super sick patients, things that we never dreamed of, proning, for instance, new skills that we rarely utilized before, but proning and APRV and all kinds of different things that we knew about, we used every once in a while, but now we're utilizing them no problem. So we have learned a lot. And I will say that as far as our care team goes, interdisciplinary care team, we have learned to work a lot better 
historically, respiratory therapy kind of is an afterthought, but we are a vital part of the team now. And I feel like, especially in our COVID units, we are heavily utilized and heavily respected because of the value that we bring to the team. Which for people like me who like to make sure that I have all my I's dotted and my T's crossed, I like to be a part of the team. Um, that's really important to me. So uh, yeah, definitely skill-wise, we've been challenged and that's a good thing. So we've been hearing a lot of activity with with these newer patients that are coming in and in the ICUs and such. Has it affected your daily work with other types of duties with patients that normally you see? How's things are going down there right now? Is it repelling people from coming to the hospital? Have you adjusted so that you can handle both the COVID patients and your normal type of patients? This is one of the subjects that I think people that aren't in healthcare fail to understand. They say, oh, well, COVID has this high survivability rate and it's not that big of an issue. But our problem is that our normal patients, our STEMIs, our cardiac arrests, our motor vehicle accidents, our uh, stroke patients, with the amount of COVID that's taking up so much of our workload, then a lot of our normal patients, I, I feel like they might not be getting the quality care they need. There might not be beds for them. We are doing the best we can with what we have, but it is very frustrating for caretakers to try to see everybody and give the attention they need to give to everybody who is sick. There's no secret. There's a staffing shortage everywhere. There are travel therapists everywhere. So yeah, um, we are working as hard as we can, but sometimes we don't have the space. We don't have the staff. We don't have the equipment. We don't have everything that we need to take care of our everyday patients. So sure, there might be a high survivability rate with COVID, but we also have to think about the census that we have available for our regular patients that are coming in too, and that's a big deal. So last year, when almost everything was shut down, especially here in the Midwest, the ERs were not getting patients coming in for appendectomies, anything like that, just you know, the regular normal stuff that happens every day because people were, one, afraid to come in or whatever it may be. So they weren't coming in at all, and they were treating COVID patients. They had extra wings in their ER to cover extra severe COVID patients. But now we're at a point where they're back full bore, full census in the ERs. And then on top of that, you get this Delta variant that is coming on very strong and pushing, you know, the staff to the limit. So so yeah. now... Like you said, you have the autoracks that, you know, you can't stop, but but it's the, the folks that come in with an upset stomach that, that wouldn't normally come in, but they have such an upset stomach. And next thing you know, they're taking up a bed when a severe COVID patient could be taking up a bed and so forth. Have you seen that as well? Yeah. And the bigger issue for me, especially in the emergency departments, is that our emergency departments are, they're stabilized and move out, right? Like you get the yeah. patient, you stabilize them and you move them there's in a critical care area if they need it. What my biggest concern that really makes me my eye twitch a little bit is that some of these patients can't get moved out. They get into the ED and they're critical patients and they can't move out for hours and hours or sometimes days. And the ED staff does not have the training. They don't have the processes in place they're they're not meant to keep critical care patients. And not only that, but then we have our critical care doctors and physicians and nurse practitioners having to run down to the ED to see these patients. So all the processes that we have in place to make our health systems run well are being 
just kind of messed with. <laughs> and, uh, mm. and uh, it's just, you know, it's not just, we don't have beds, we don't have staff, but it's just all of our processes that we have put in place to give good quality care are just all over the place and chaotic. And our staff is doing such a fantastic job. They're rising to the challenge, but it's exhausting. It's exhausting. And these patients are staying for so long. I mean, we have patients that have been on the BiPAP and high flow oxygen for one, two weeks, and they still haven't improved. And, um, and that's another concern was that we've got more people moving in, but nobody's moving out. They're not going anywhere. It's, it's frustrating and it's, frust and it's frustrating for the patients too, because you see them come in and they're, they're ready to beat COVID and they're in great spirits. And then, you know, a week goes by and they're stuck on a BiPAP mask and they're depressed and their spirits drop. And that's a concern because that has plenty to do with their physical health as well, physical and mental health. Right. If you remember back last year, 2020, March, April, May, the patients mm -hmm. that refused to believe what it was, they thought it was just an upper respiratory until the point of them not able to breathe and they're, they're rushed into the ER. So think about the current situation where they think that everything's lightened up or they think that they can beat it or they think they're fine and all of a sudden it gets to that worst spot. A lot of times stubborn Midwesterners here that we have you know, they're going to wait to the last minute. And usually that's the worst case scenario. They're going to be vented pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We have Southern, we have stubborn people down here too. Um, <laughs> what I've seen, I don't know. I mean, this could be completely subjective, uh, but what I've seen is that this variant has hit a little bit more quickly. I, I feel like people get some they go down a little bit more quickly. They get, it gets a little bit more severe more quickly so that they don't really have the option to wait it out and see. Whereas before, I was like, yeah, I was kind of feeling bad. And everybody was so scared that they would go and get a test. And then they would go to the doctor's office. And then their oxygen sat was only 85. And they got sent straight to the hospital. But now I feel like people just are, when it gets severe, it gets severe really quickly. I feel like it hits harder this time. But that could just be, I don't know, what I see this week, you know. <laughs> your personal experience, yeah. So what are your concerns of this new variant and possibly with the future? Um, my concern is that right now Georgia, I think, is we're, vac we're about 40th percentile vaccinated, something like that, 40, 45% vaccinated. Um, my concern is that it's going to keep going and keep going and hitting younger and younger populations. Right before COVID hit, I was working part-time in my kids' daycare as well. You know, I heard all about it, and I said, you know, it's not hitting kids very hard. We're good. And I, I felt pretty relaxed about it. But I'm starting to hear more and more severe cases. I have a twin sister who her nine-year-old just tested positive yesterday and yeah. um, has a history of reactive airway disease. And so and he woke up at 3 a.m. and couldn't breathe. And now, he, I mean, he's okay now, but, you know, just the fear that our kids start getting affected is really worrisome to me because I don't have any PICU experience. I have NICU experience. I don't have PICU experience and I do not want to have to work in PICU because that just pulls on my heartstrings too much. It's, um, <laughs> I just couldn't, I don't think I could do it. <laughs> same having, having a six and an almost <laughs> nine year old is the same boat uh, where yeah. we're afraid to see it happen to you or your family. Right. We hope that everything goes well with him. Um, yeah. Delta variant and, and the potential future variants, we really don't know yet. Mm -hmm. It's one of those where 
we seem to be riding this wave you know, at, at first we're, we're, we're kind of lulling up to this giant wave and the giant wave hits then it starts coming down. Everybody starts getting vaccinated. We feel more comfortable. Mm-hmm. And then it hits us like another wave much faster. Like there's an earthquake yeah. underneath us. So, yeah. Yeah. And I will say every patient that I've been able to talk to, and I don't bring it up unless they do, because I know there's some political feelings about the vaccination, but if, if they ask me about the vaccination, all the ones that I've talked to have said, oh man, I wish I had gotten it. And I've called every family member and told them to go ahead and get vaccinated. So that makes me, there's one guy that was like, please find out if I can get it before I leave the hospital. And I was like, well, I don't think you can yet. Exactly. Do you have any other uh, patient experiences that you can share? This is nothing new, but I would stress prevention is key. I mean, we talk about vaccinations, but still wearing masks keeping your distance, washing your hands, the basic stuff still works just, I mean, just great too. If, if you can't get vaccinated, you know, that all works great too, because it's so hard, the mental toll that it takes on these patients and their families, even if they survive COVID, it's, it's so hard and, and heartbreaking to watch people be in, in the ICU for weeks and weeks. And I mean, I have little old men that say, I've got to get home. And they, they, they were perfectly healthy. And they, I've got to get home. I've got my wife to take care of. And I've got my family to take care of. And they just don't understand why they can't just go home on 80% oxygen and 50 liters. And they're still wearing the BiPAP off and on. And, and it's heartbreaking for them to have to go through that. And heartbreaking for me <laughs> to leave them in a, a week later, come back in there on the, in the exact same spot, still on 80% and 70 liters and on BiPAP off and on because it just takes so long to get well and to heal. So I would just say, do your due diligence and um, and we, we got to keep fighting it because the summer was great, wasn't it? We all kind of <laughs> pretended like it was going to go away, but so, it, you know, so here we are again. <laughs> well, I do have another question that wasn't on here. It goes towards mm-hmm. more what our business is and that's uh, diagnostics. So what do you feel is going to happen on the diagnostic role post-COVID? What are you seeing or what should we be seeing post-COVID patients do? Personally, I feel we need to continue monitoring people because we send them home and rarely do we follow up. We just right. wait for them to tell us that they're not feeling well. There are those long haulers that are struggling, that are afraid to do anything, and they can't even make it up the steps. Right. So I think it's really important these patients, like you said, are followed up with. I'm working on a project our healthcare system is doing with COPD readmissions, which we're working on a better way to combat COPD readmissions, but we could just easily roll COVID readmissions into this. And I think uh, it's really important pulmonary rehab. I'm a big proponent of pulmonary rehab, and we are seeing more of our COVID patients our ex-COVID patients go through pulmonary rehab. It's really important and getting those follow-ups, all of the follow-ups. And we are, our challenge um, in our region is that we have a lot of people that live out in the mountains and, and kind of far away. So transportation is a big barrier to compliance with the follow-up in, in our region. And I think that you're going to see a lot of issues with finding your primary care physicians to do follow-ups with because there's going to be a big boom of patients that need to be followed up with and seen and actually have have chronic disease management. 
But I would say I'm pushing pulmonary rehab. And with that, you know, of course, goes the PFPs and the pulmonary function testing and all of that. So Mm -hmm. there's going to be a big push for that for patients that have dealt with this and have survived. Definitely the future is going to be a lot different than what we've been dealing with in the past on this pandemic, that's for sure. And I wholeheartedly agree with you. I know there's a lot of deniers still in this country, but being a global company, I've talked to some of my counterparts in other parts of the world, and it seems like they have the very same thing. And I can't Mm -hmm. understand it. Maybe the disbelief is just too hard to grab hold to. It's also, you got to see it to believe it. Fortunately, that's the case. We we can scream at them in their face all day long, but the picture you posted said a thousand words, just the exhaustion that you went through. It was very much like you see the doc or the nurse or the, the RT, you know, out of New York City that's worked a 12 hour shift and they take their their masks off, their goggles and everything. And they've got the, you know, the lines all over their face because they've mm-hmm. been busting their tail all day to help these patients, but also to protect themselves. So, And I think the data is really important. And a lot of deniers push data, 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 and data is very important. And, you know, you can't, <laughs> you can't deny data, but with data, you have to understand the subject matter that you're looking at. And you have to pair data with actual assessment of the situation. And I think that that's missing in a lot of deniers is they don't understand the healthcare system. They don't understand the challenges that it's facing because of this. And they data can be manipulated to meet any agenda that you want to meet, whether personal or political, right. that data can be manipulated to say whatever you want it to say. And I think people have become very nonchalant about throwing their two cents in when they don't understand the subject matter. It's just like looking at a a blood gas and saying, well, this blood gas is perfectly normal, but you didn't go look at the patient and you didn't see that you have a normal blood gas because the patient's breathing 40 times a minute and is not going to be able to sustain that. So you have to do your assessment as well. (laughs) Well, Great, Kimberly. Thank you so much. Do you have anything else to add for our audience you don't think we've covered? No, I think you guys covered it. Those are my two cents. You know, as healthcare professionals, we don't put all these sob stories out there and these sad pictures out there just to get sympathy. We really, truly care about what is happening. And that is one of the best parts about my job is that the people I work with are passionate about what they do. And we're not just looking for sympathy. We're not just tired and had a long day at work. I mean, these are people's lives that we are fighting for on a daily basis. And any way that the general public can help, whether that's wear your mask, get vaccinated, wash your hands, stay six feet away, do whatever you can to help is greatly appreciated by all of us. And the respect is very appreciated. Well, Kim, we really appreciate you sharing your stories and day to day and taking the time to be on our podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. You have been listening to Excel with Vitalgraph. Your host is Mark Russell. We hope you enjoyed what you heard today. Please leave a review and subscribe for new episodes. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to you joining us again on Exhale with Vitalgraph.